0: This is episode number 329. Energy Benefits of a Plant-Based Diet with Sun Sachs. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being. And I'm your host, Sonia.
1: negative impacts of animal agriculture to the environment to the animals feeling good about the lifestyle choice and knowing that i'm that i'm doing my part that's pretty meaningful and there is something that changes like when you have more energy and you feel healthier you have a better chance of giving your best every day you're more even keel less ups and downs i think my cognitive function certainly seem to have improved quite a bit. and um, you know, I wake up, I certainly I push myself hard in training, but I wake up every day ready to go. And to be able to embrace the day is a real advantage in life, you know.
0: I had a lot of fun on today's episode because it was with returning guest, Sun Sachs. And if that name sounds familiar to you, he is the CEO and co-founder of Rewire Fitness. And we talked all about how to train your mind and what mental fitness means on that episode. So make sure that you check it out. We put it in the show notes. Rewire also helps athlete avoid burnout by providing tools that improve your mindset, your readiness and resilience. It includes neurotraining, and you can try it for free at rewirefitness.app. It is an app that I regularly use, and I think this is a game changer. So make sure you check that out. However, when I was first getting to know Sun, I found out that we have a lot in common. In addition to being endurance athletes and being cyclists and loving adventures and also loving mental training, I discovered that he is plant-based and he is the co-creator of TheBeat.com and he is passionate about animal welfare, the environment, and human health. He is also a plant-based culinary chef graduate and continues to advise for The Beat I sent out an email in my weekly newsletter the other day at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. So if you're not on that list, make sure that you get on there so you don't miss out on anything else. But I recapped the top five podcasts of the year, and it was really fun to see which episodes perform the best. I used to be somebody that looked at metrics a lot. And since in the last couple of years, I rarely go and see how many downloads an episode gets because I don't want that to become something that is really important to me. Of course, it matters if people are listening or not, but I want to create episodes and have guests on for the sake of getting good information out there and not be worried or thinking about, is this going to perform well? However, that said, we looked into the top five episodes of the year, and it was a pretty interesting spread. So the very top episode, number one, was How to Change with Katie Milkman, which is about all the science of behavior change. And I personally love that episode as well. But two of the top five were in the plant-based realm. One of them was in the parenting realm, and two of them were in the behavior change realm. So you guys are interested in a lot of different topics, and so am I. So I think today is going to be really fun because a lot of you are really interested in plant-based diet or a plant slant in the way that you eat. And today, Sun and I talked about his transition to a plant-based diet we talked about the energy and performance boost that he found with the diet shift, and this is something that I also experienced when I changed my diet. We talked about setting expectations when returning returning to endurance sports. We talked about creating thebeat.com, and I highly recommend you checking that out if you want to get more information on how to change your diet or maybe you just want to add in some plant-based recipes or learn a little bit more about a plant-based lifestyle. We also talked about his experience becoming a trained chef, and that was pretty cool to learn about that. With the new year coming around, a lot of us like that fresh feeling of a new start, of a fresh start. And that is something that Katie Milkman, I just mentioned her in that How to Change podcast episode, that's something she goes into in that book, how fresh starts and times of year where there are big shifts, a new year, a new birthday, those are great times to make changes. So we talked about how plant-based eating provides a lifestyle change that makes you wake up feeling refreshed. There's also a lot of great related podcasts that I included. If you are interested in plant-based nutrition, we talked about the science of plant-based nutrition with Dr. Michael Greger, and you can look at that in the show notes. And we also uh, linked up to the book, How Not to Diet, and that podcast I did with Dr. Michael Greger about that. And that is a great resource if you are looking into healthy weight loss. In addition to talking about the new year, I am hosting a workshop that I'm very excited to be offering. It's called Galvanize Your Goals, and with it, you will get a free Ultimate Guide to Goal Setting ebook. We will have worksheets that you will be filling out during the workshop, and I'm just going to help you get clarity on what's important to you for the year and how to set actionable goals and intentions so that you can turn those thoughts into something that you're taking action on regularly. I'm also going to be creating an accountability group for those of you who are interested. So if you want to do it, it's January 14th. It's only one hour long. It's over Zoom and it's only $49. So I'm really excited. I hope that a lot of you sign up and that I get to work with you in this group coaching setting. You can find that at moxyandgrit.com. M-O-X-Y and grit.com. You can also find it in the show notes. Just make sure if you're at moxieandgrit.com, you scroll down to the bottom where you see the eBooks and you will see the galvanize your goals workshop that you can sign up for. I also am sending it out weekly. If you want to click on it in my weekly newsletter as well. One more quick little bonus that you may not be aware of is that we have started transcribing all of the podcast episodes. I know that when I listen to a podcast episode, sometimes there are things that stand out to me and I'm usually busy doing something whenever I'm listening to it. So I want to go back and reference it, but I don't want to listen to the entire show to go back and find that one thing. So that's why we started doing these transcriptions. So you can go to sonialooney.com slash podcasts. You can find past podcast episodes and even this current one that you're listening to now. And you can skim through the transcript looking for something that maybe stood out to you. And before we get into it, I just want to let you know about Inside Tracker. And Inside Tracker is a company I've been using since 2017. And to live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work does not properly evaluate your biological age. But Inside Tracker does, and this is super cool. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by a leading scientist in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. And you'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And you can add the Inner Age 2.0 to any plan to calculate your true biological age and see how you're aging from the inside out. And this is done by looking at some of these biomarkers. They test over 35 biomarkers that you can get so much information on whether they're optimized or not and what you can do in your lifestyle choices to optimize those. I'll let you in on a secret. I am 39. And when I did my Inner Age, my Inner Age is 29. So that was pretty fun go to insidetracker.com slash to get 20% off their entire website. Again, that is insidetracker.com slash Sonia. That might be a really great Christmas present to yourself. Okay, onward to the show. Son, welcome back to the show.
1: Yeah, super excited to to nerd out on something else now. Another one of my favorite topics. <laughs>
0: I know. I realized afterwards, like, there's so many things for us to talk about. I think we just became best friends.
1: <laughs> Big time. <laughs> oh, nice.
0: So last time you were on yeah. the show, we talked about Rewire. We talked about some of the elements of mental performance, and we'll link that up in the show notes for anybody that wants to check that out. But today we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about one of the other buckets the show covers, which is plant based nutrition and plant based performance. So, how did you find your way into changing the way that you eat and live?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, as from the other episode, there's sort of a little bit of a story there about um, my journey as an athlete, basically retiring early, getting into tech for a good chunk of time, about eight years. I didn't even touch a bike, look at a bike do <laughs> anything. But I still had the mentality of, you know, I can eat whatever I want and I I have a big appetite and that's fine. And o- over a period of time, I got to the point where I was like, um, the heaviest I've ever been unhealthy, you know, just not feeling very well. Most of the time, a lot of stress, of course, and work and then, you know, um, bad eating habits and, uh, I picked up this book called Finding Ultra. Must have oh. been around 2011.
0: <laughs> this book Very that no one's heard of. I'm I'm totally joking. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally joking.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I and uh, I the second I like I read the intro and I was like, okay, buckle in. You're probably going to go plant base.
0: <laughs> such a great book. So, I love that book. Yeah,
1: yeah. It really is. It really is a, yeah, a great book. You know, and that um, that showed me that it's possible to really have high performance athlete kind of lifestyle and be plant based. Like really, for me, before that, you know, understanding the ethics, understanding the environmental reasons, but didn't really see it from an athletic standpoint. And so, and and of course, it hit me at a good time when I was feeling super unhealthy. And I really wanted to change change things. So I basically started off with uh I think I was following his like rituals uh, in the day. This is you know two thousand eleven. And um started off with just a smoothie a day. The rest of my diet was the same. Started feeling better and better, and then I was like, Okay, I'm gonna do, you know, uh, plant based lunch. And then after about seven months or so, I went all in and then and that was in early 2012. So It's been about 10 years now. And then uh, after that, the rest of my family was not plant-based. And so it was a progression of, you know, maybe another two and a half or so years. Eventually, each one, one by one, decided on their <laughs> own, <laughs> which made things a lot easier. So there's a lot more on the journey, but I'll just stop there uh, just in terms of the how it started.
0: Yeah. So the book we're referring to is Finding Ultra by a tiny podcast host no one's heard of named Rich Roll, who is probably like (laughs) top 10 overall podcasts at this stage on Apple Podcasts and a fantastic human, a really great mentor for everybody. Podcast hosts are are mentors, I think. So yeah. And I read that book. Gosh, it it was after I changed my diet, but it was before I had started my podcast. And Rich Roll's podcast is what inspired me to start my podcast. So going back to that, like, how did you discover that book?
1: I'm just always looking and searching for new things and new ways to be better. And uh, I have a perpetual audible uh, subscription and listen to like tons and tons of books every year. And um, I don't remember exactly how I found it, but it's not surprising that I found it because I'm always just, you know, I, li- I like to hear first person accounts of transformation. And that one appealed to me. I think it kind of spoke to me. I was in the demographic. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of how it started.
0: And what was it about that book specifically, or what Rich said about plant-based that made you decide to try that? Because there was like all these different things. I remember for me at one point, I was like, maybe I should try this paleo thing. Like, What was it about plant-based that stood out to you?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a good question. Well, I mean I think from the perspective of it being great for the environment, being great for animal welfare, and seeing that you know, his description is sort of like, you know, I was a middle aged, unhealthy guy, had a you know, a, a scare walking up the stairs, I changed my diet and I suddenly had a lot of energy and I was able to get back to my old athlete days and you reach new levels of performance. When I saw that, just the performance orientation mm-hmm. and the gains, that's what attracted me. Mm-hmm. Like that's, what, that's what drew me in to try it. Every diet claims different things. This is certainly more of a lifestyle, but I think it's true. When you change something so fundamental, other things kind of follow suit, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> which is
1: power, powerful.
0: Yeah. So initially, it was you're attracted to the idea of having more energy and then maybe revisiting and becoming this old version of yourself where you used to be, you know, riding your bike at a super high level and you had lost touch with that. And the book inspired you to, you know, take action to start moving in that direction again.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's right. And what was your decision to do it gradually? Because I know some people, when they change their diet, it's like, like my husband, he watched forks over knives. The next day, he threw out everything, including spices that had oil in it, like completely. You know. <laughs> and then for me, when I started changing my diet, it was more like you. It was more of a gradual thing. So what made you decide to do it gradually?
1: Um, yeah, it was. it's a pretty big lifestyle change. So I just wanted to, um, and I wasn't necessarily like, I knew I'd feel I would feel better, but I wanted to sort of transition slowly to see how I would handle it, you know, like for a while, once I started to take on like the two meals a day, I would go to the health food store and grab a whole bunch of pre-made stuff because I didn't want to have my wife have to cook all this extra stuff. So like there's a lot of things to figure out. It And initially, it feels very overwhelming. And uh, so it was just this progression of testing, seeing how one meal a day felt and then two meals a day. And by the time you're you're at the like two meals a day and successfully doing it, like, why not? This is, I feel awesome. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You mentioned something that I think is really common for a lot of people is that they want to make some change in their life. And in this case, we're talking about, you know, eating a plant-based and having a plant-based lifestyle. And it's really hard when your family isn't doing the same things that you are, because it is, in some cases, it can be more labor intensive, um, especially, you know, chopping things if you want to eat plant-based. And it can also be more than that because food it's something that brings us together as human beings, and whenever you're other at like a dinner table, it can be alienating for certain people. So, how did you address that in your family where you were eating? I mean, you mentioned buying some pre-made stuff, but like the change, did that shock your family, and did that cause any sort of issues along the way or problems?
1: You know, for a while they they teased me about it. 'Cause I, I was the one to take them to go have burgers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm like mm-hmm. that doing the opposite. And uh my wife Leslie figured it out. She basically made a couple of sides that were vegan and then I would eat those and supplement mm-hmm. with like some tofu or something. So we got mm-hmm. it into a workable kind of process. And uh yeah, I didn't push it on any on any one of the family members. Like my two kids came to their own conclusions separately on different timelines. And then lastly, my wife she really likes salmon and that was the hardest thing for her to give up. And eventually she was like, oh, this, you know, you don't know where the where the meat is and the, the, you know, all of the, all the different elements that maybe make something that might have been, you could portray it as healthy, you know, have other risk factors, you know, with mm-hmm. the pollution in the ocean and mm-hmm. mercury and all that stuff. So eventually she was like, I got to give this up anyway. So <laughs> yeah. So she she was the last one to jump in, but it, yeah, it took maybe two and a half years or so.
0: Yeah, as an anecdote, salmon was a hard one for me to give up. It was one of the last things that I gave up. And something that did it for me is actually the opposite of what one might think is I decided, let's go salmon fishing. I've never done this before. I lived like on the ocean. So I went salmon fishing and the experience of catching a salmon and then seeing like seeing all the blood whenever it's killed... And then I watched the fisherman or like the boat driver, whatever you call them, sailor. I don't know. The fisherman, So he killed it. He's the one that killed it. And then he was the one like pulling out the bones and doing all the things. And I was watching the whole experience. And then he just gave me this. It was like a medium-sized garbage bag. And it was just all this meat in this medium-sized garbage bag. And I picked up the bag. And I remember walking away with this like bag of meat. And then we cooked some of it that night. And I really did not enjoy it. Because I had had that, ex- the whole experience that there's a lot of cognitive dissonance around the food that we eat and how we get the meat on our plate. Yeah. And then yeah. after that, I just never wanted salmon ever again. I was like, this is, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. So it was yeah. really interesting.
1: Yeah. 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 There's some interesting things about our biology. You know, like I have animals that are carnivores and omnivores here dogs and cats. And uh, when a dog sees a bloody animal, they start to salivate. When a human sees a bloody animal, they do not salivate, you know, they're mm. repulsed, they're repulsed. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, sure. You could condition yourself if you're a hunter and all that stuff, but the default reaction is repulsion. And, you know, that's one of the reasons of course they keep all that stuff separate and they package everything up in these neat and tidy, you know, to go containers where it's abstracted from what's happened because it's not palatable to the average person.
0: You know, Yeah. Such a good point
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there's a you know, there's a lot of stuff if you look at the you look at our biology and you know how it's designed, it certainly doesn't match uh, you know a, an omnivore even or a carnivore, of course it's much closer related to you know a plant based eater or animal, and could we of course we can physically eat meat, you know a vegetarian animal could also eat meat. <laughs> That's and you point. might, in a, in a survival situation, you you know, great that you do what you have to do. But I don't think that that's our default state.
0: Yeah. So what did you notice about yourself over the course of this transformation? So like you wanted to change your diet because you saw there's energy and performance to be gained. And then you started noticing with the smoothie a day that you're feeling even better. So like, what did that trajectory look like for you over, say, the next couple of years?
1: Yeah. Um so yeah, I started getting more and more energy. Um, I uh started doing uh sport again. I've got into triathlon. Did a, yeah, my first year I did like a half Ironman and some um Olympics and some adventure triathlons and uh and just started getting really fit. I lost probably like forty pounds. <laughs> and um just I noticed like in reflection, I noticed how Uneven my prior diet was, so like this combination of like eating a lot of meat and then eating a lot of like concentrated orange juice and you know sugary fruits. it's almost like this spike this just like a roller coaster of um, physical spikes where I would feel you know okay, then I'd feel really crappy, and it's almost like you have in this in this vicious cycle of constantly having to restimulate yourself. And I noticed when I was on, you know, started plant based diet and went all in on it, I didn't have the same kind of hunger pangs. I was much more even with the way I felt, and uh, that naturally led to, you know, other things that just helped my well being. You know, if I'm not like, you know, have a food coma and then and then have to boost myself with sugar or caffeine, you know, that that allows me to sleep better, to feel better, to have more energy you know, recovery improved uh, from training, less inflammatory foods. And um, yeah, just continue to feel fantastic uh, 10 years in.
0: I wanted to also ask you about your expectations when you started doing triathlon again, because I'm sure that it was really challenging to line up for that first triathlon when you have Competed at a very high level. And I think that there are people listening that can really relate with this. Like maybe they were athletic growing up and it sort of fallen to the wayside in the last year. Maybe it's been a really long time since they've done that. And I think that a lot of people compare themselves to the best previous version of themselves. And that makes them not even want to start because they know they're not going to be, you know, in that moment as good as they used to be. So, how did you decide to line up and what were your expectations moving forward given your background?
1: Yeah, that's such a really good question. Of course, I still had high expectations, and I thought, uh, well, on the bike, I'm going to kick butt. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a complicated sport, you know, with three disciplines, and um, swimming and running were, were both not natural to me. Obviously, bike riding still was, and I still felt pretty strong. But I had to just become a student again and really, you know, go into the craft of biomechanics and of learning the skills so that i could start to have more efficiency and feel better doing it so i you know the original founder of total immersion was actually based here where i live and i ended up doing like one-on-one coaching and training and learned how to feel comfortable in the water i went to some running camps you know i did a bunch of stuff to really try to learn the proper way to do those those other two disciplines and uh that was a really cool journey i guess to answer your question i still had an expectation to try to perform at my best at an age group level but um but i also understood where i was at (laughs) so the expectation wasn't that high but it was i you know i'm always sort of striving so i I can't that's part of my personality i can really help that but
0: Yeah, it sounds like having an openness to learn, um, to meet yourself where where you're at, but also to do the work to get to where you want to go, and holding those simultaneously was something that was on your mind whenever you're going through this process.
1: Definitely, and also it's like you you kind of um, you know within triathlon there's so many different formats, so you kind of learn what format's best for you. You know, maybe like the sprint. You know, it's a a short hour or so race or you like the olympic and it's you know a few hours or the half and it's maybe four and a half five hours or Ironman. you know and all of that has to sort of fit into your lifestyle so that there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of finding exploring that and i ended up liking of course gravitating towards the off-road and adventure one it's historical it's been around for uh, almost 40 years now it's called sos it's basically a um Almost a reverse triathlon, you start off doing a time trial on the bike, and then you do a series of mountain runs and swims across lakes, but you have to carry all your gear, like your shoes, and then you finish at the top of the mountain. So, you end up like swimming across three lakes, running about 20 miles off-road, and and, uh, cycling about 30 miles. But because you're swimming in a fatigued state, it introduces all kinds of interesting variables, and you have to carry your shoes with you. So, you know, cramping in the water, um, de- you know, dealing with the hydrodynamics, which are a little bit different when you have shoes on or you're carrying them in your shorts or whatever, you know, it's a, it, and you're out in the wild, you know, it's really cool. That's the kind of stuff like and when things get a little bit more unpredictable, it becomes a lot more fun for me. So, I, that's sort of how I, a little bit less structured is what I gravitate towards.
0: Yeah. The adventure aspect of sport is, it makes it fun. It's almost like there's an added element of play to it. Like when you're a kid, you just want to have this adventure and it takes away from this like grind of, you know, I just have to put out this wattage or I have to run this mile split.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it can, and triathlon can feel that way. I, I love triathlon, but it it can feel very regimented, you know? the entire race can feel like that because it is such a high performance rate and you're out there for a long time. And, you know, in order to get a certain performance, you're looking at the clock a lot, looking at the power meter. So yeah, it's nice to have some, a little more play where possible.
0: (laughs) So something that you said earlier is that I'm striving to be my best. And based on what I know about you is that you don't tend to do things small. (laughs) You like to go big. So let's talk about how you co-created the Beat.com.
1: Sure. Yeah. This was actually before I uh, founded Rewire. Basically, I was already plant-based, and um, these investor folks I knew were uh, seeing the trend in the plant-based movement becoming more mainstream, uh, whether it be like all the celebrities or a lot of the science coming out, a lot of the, pro- the food and the products being much more accessible. And so they asked me for um, some guidance and, you know, helped uh, build the whole the media brand and platform and I'd continue to advise the team. We basically built out this uh, media brand, which the idea is just add plants. So this meet people where they are, really be a positive force for change, provide, you know, one-on-one guides and insights, you know, show first-person accounts certainly talk about industry news. We do a lot of, uh, recipes and, uh, we do a lot of collaborations with famous, uh, plant-based chefs, which is also really fun. (laughs)
0: Do you get to have them cook for you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I wish (laughs) they will share recipes that will, you know, we'll publish and, uh, every so often there's events and things like that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And then, um, we formed a partnership and then eventually merged with Forks Over Knives. So that's one kind of parent company, uh, Forks Over Knives and The Beat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, The Beat, I'm looking at it right now. And the way that it's outlined, like how it's systematized in a way to like purvey information to people, it makes it really simple because there's a lot of information that people might want and come at from different perspectives and the way that it's outlined makes it easy cuz there's like meal plans there's you know everything you want to know about lifestyle there's an environment tab restaurants health like i the layout my website is much more simple than the beat but it's really difficult to convey when you a lot of information in a simple way where people are able to just click on what they want and come to it easily without having to go through a bunch of different pages to get there
1: that's right yeah m- most people come in from search so they're looking for a specific topic it could be something like random like they're trying to find out how to make wheatgrass juice or something or how to make a plant-based cheese but then once they come in they can see you know all the other related topics and all the other related content and recipes and uh that's sort of how how the magic happens
0: how did the merging with forks over knives come about
1: yeah it was just a very very complementary opportunity you know we're on our, on the beet side, the beet is um really a uh sort of consumer facing entry point for plant based eating and then on the other side, forks is really like an authority on health and wellness around plant based eating so it, it's this continuum this journey from meeting people where they're at and understanding like you know maybe you just want to have a smoothie a day and eventually you want to explore something healthier and eventually you want to do, you know, really have an extremely healthy diet. Well, we have solutions on that whole spectrum. So it was just kind of a natural, natural fit.
0: Yeah. Forks over knives. The documentary is what inspired me to change my diet. Gosh, was it 2013? I think it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's good. Yeah, it's good. And there's been a a lot of great documentaries since, but that, that was definitely one of the best the best ones that sort of set a lot of awareness out there in terms of plant-based eating and the health benefits.
0: You mentioned celebrity chefs. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Daniel Hum, who is the chef of 11 Madison Park in New York, which just got his third Michelin star. And Daniel changed diet to 100% plant-based restaurant. Like this is a super fine dining establishment in New York. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know it, but I'm, I'm sure people listening maybe haven't heard of it. And that was a really big deal to win a Michelin star as a plant-based restaurant. And I'm sure he received a lot of like backlash against making that change. And fun story: I met Daniel Hum at BC Bike Race in 2012 because Ooh. he loves mountain biking and he loves running. And I saw him again at Transylvania Mountain Bike Epic another year because he really likes endurance sports. And his background is actually like a, he was an incredibly high level. I think it was, I think it was in Swiss. Swiss junior cyclist or something. But yeah, so he's he's also like a really cool person. And I was so stoked to see that. But you have a plant-based, you're a plant-based culinary chef graduate. So can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. You know, like uh, always seeking mastery. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Kenny, who's another uh, well-known celebrity chef, he started in New York, uh, trained in French culinary. And then very early, like 2000, took all those techniques and started creating raw plant-based cuisine. So I had been to one of his restaurants. Uh, I think it was Pure Food and Wine, I believe, in New York. So was aware, was aware of him and incredibly impressed by the recipes. And then I saw that he had like a um, a culinary course, and I always kind of had this a uh, little bit of a passion for for cooking. And I also felt like I needed the skills to really, you know, to feed myself. So <laughs> the combination of practical and also just like passionate about it. So yeah, I uh, did the, um, the culinary course. It was a raw-based course, about 100 hours of um, education. And we learned some really crazy things like one of my favorite dishes is um, uh, red beet ravi- ravioli. So you make ravioli out of thinly sliced beets and then you make a, a cheese and a pesto to go with it. And it's phenomenal. And I learned how to make kimchi and taking young coconuts from scratch and making like uh, pastry dough out of them, uh, all raw. Again, if you can imagine using a hydrator, making uh, dumplings and um, all kinds of cool stuff. So it was a, it was a really fun journey. I remember spending like five weeks on knife skills. (laughs) So like it's, his program is, you know, they're really, really trying to develop classical skills, but then with all these insights into how to make plant-based cuisine and how to make it gourmet and how to, how to make it healthy. So it's very cool. And then the interesting thing is like, then I took another course from um, that was also part of that umbrella, Brendan Brazier's sports nutrition course based on his book Thrive. He's a, f- a former ultra uh, triathlete, and um, then they invited me to teach. So then I got to wow. for for a little bit of time. My schedule was super tight, so I, I only did it for maybe like six months. But um, I was able to really teach plant based nutrition for athletes, which was super fun.
0: Wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, yeah, That's- it was cool
0: thrive after finding ultra or thrive was one of the other books that I had in the early days as well I'd love to hear some of the things that you learned from the sports nutrition certification because that's a lot that's a big question that's still on people's mind whenever they want to change to plant-based is there's a lot of fiber if you're especially if you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet and people are concerned about how that's going to impact you know energy demands or you know just even being able to perform if you eat a lot of fiber so can you talk about that to start?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the ironic thing is like um, everybody worries about the protein question, but it's very rare that somebody has, you know, protein deficiency. But most people on a Western American diet have a um, fiber deficiency. So, fiber is really important for gut health and your immune system, and it has all kinds of micronutrients. And um, oftentimes we don't eat enough. And I understand this sort of like, you know, don't eat broccoli before a race because it's going to, you know, take too long to process. Well, meat is even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, like for for, you know, what it's going to do is create a lot there's going to be a lot of blood in your gut for whatever it is, 12 hours trying to process all that food. It's going to create an inf- an inflammatory response in most cases, which is not going to help you with performance. Whereas Fiber, yeah. I mean, you know, when I'm competing, I typically don't eat like a my... What I usually have for lunch is like a big dark green leafy salad, which is, you know, one of the best things I've ever done for my health. I may not do that, but I'll certainly do something like uh, sweet potatoes and rice, like a couple of really nice complex carbs, put those together. I feel amazing a couple hours in. You know, th- these days, people are really understanding, especially with endurance sports, like carb up like 120 grams an hour and you're going to you know, compete at your best. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent, but I wouldn't worry about fiber. Fiber is really good for you. You know, our, our guts design, why is our intestines so long? <laughs> it's similar to, well, we don't have two stomachs like a cow, but it's similar in that it has to, it, it's designed to process that type of food why are our teeth flat they're designed to process plants so they're not they're not spiky and and pointy you're not going to be able to tear into a raw piece of meat but you can certainly tear into a raw piece of broccoli (laughs) (laughs) i i just wouldn't worry i wouldn't worry about it if anything it's going to have more health benefits than than anything harmful
0: that's so funny i completely forgot about the protein comment I actually made a t-shirt several years ago and it said, where do you get your protein? And I had a huge red X through the protein. And then underneath it, I wrote fiber. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So I was that nerd walking around like, yeah, fiber.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's so many products out there that give you, you know, you can have a fiber drink and all that stuff, but you know, just have some dark leafy greens, you know, some kale, some spinach, you're, you'll be all good. So, yeah, the, like that was one, one aspect. Fueling strategies, you know, like being the nerd that I am, I like um, learned about the, the 4 to 1 carb to protein ratio, you know, post-workout, you, what your body's trying to do. And, you know, on some level for any athlete, it's trying to replace its, uh, your glucose stores. So, basically, you know, you're, you actually have fuel in your muscles and you're going to deplete them. You know, even if you're doing this like I did a strength workout today, well, my heart rate was in the endurance zone most of the time. So, I'm burning uh, glycogen stores in my muscles. And so, you come out of that. You don't want to just have a whole bunch of protein, which is sort of the, the wives' tale or the, the classic, because your body, its first goal is to replenish those stores in case you're going to go and do another workout. It doesn't know. It doesn't know when your next workout is. So its priority is let's replenish what you used. So if you have a four to one carb ratio, what it's going to do is help your body immediately refill those stores. And then the protein, of course, you know, you've know you done some damage to your muscles, it needs to rebuild. But that balance helps you, you know, refill the stores and then uh, build for the next time. And if you do that from day to day, like you'd be surprised how much higher your energy levels are. Um, so what I did is I built like this chart. I downloaded the USDA's database and I basically put in all of the, all the different ingredients and all the different weights and grams and cups and converted everything. And then basically you could just plug in what you're making. It would tell you what portion you needed. And if you were in the four to, to one ratio.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: That was pretty fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I bet people listening would love to get their hands on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's probably a little bit out of date, but yeah, happy, happy to share it, at least just for kicks if you want to see what that's like. Um, you know, ultimately, there are a lot of things I learned from that course and from further study, but ultimately you start to understand that um, the macro is more important than the micro. Like for a while I was measuring every single thing and trying to keep it all balanced and thinking like, well, if I add more protein or add more carbs, my body's gonna do XYZ. Well, your body has its own agenda and it's in some ways a lot more intelligent than you're thinking of it. And um, you know, if if you're making sure you're checking all the boxes for good health at a high level, body kinda of takes care of itself, you know, like the smartest thing I've ever heard a, like a wellness doctor say is that your, your default state for your body is health. That's your default. Like your body is always trying to return to health. So if you're not healthy, you got to look at your lifestyle factors and see what are the things that you're doing that are actually holding you back from getting back to that default state. So it's less about the minutiae and more about the macro in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of something that Dr. Greger has said multiple times. And for those listening, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. If you want to check it out. But he said that like unhealthy habits, specifically in this case, he's talking about eating, you know, animal products. It's like taking a hammer and like hitting yourself in the knee. Each time you each time you eat it, you're just like whacking yourself in the knee, whacking yourself in the knee. And you're never going to get back to that healthy state because every single time you do that, you're whacking you just keep whacking yourself and you don't let your body heal itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about like, what other thing do we do three to five or six times per day? Like it is it is so impactful when you make a like a, a full lifestyle change with your diet. Like, you know, the reverse, this is how disease can incubate over decades. And you're not going to notice the little changes. But after 20, 30 years of eating a bad diet, you know, this is where you can have cancer, you can have all kinds of illnesses. And you're just literally contributing to bad health day after day, and that adds up. Like humans are very clever animals, but what we're not very good at is looking at the long-term effects of something, as evidenced by many many things in the world today. <laughs> um, you know, just think about like there's a massive percentage of people that are lactose intolerant. Well, if you're having milk every day, despite that, or cheese. You know, you're basically introducing what your body considers to be toxic or at the very least damaging and it's creating an inflammatory response. If you're having an inflammatory response every day, that's analogous to disease. Like that's the environment in which disease evolves. (laughs) So, just that one thing, paying attention to that one thing could make a big difference in your health. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's so challenging as humans because pain is often the greatest motivator. But a lot of times with lifestyle habits that have been not contributing to health span over 20, 30 years, as you said, sometimes like death is the first option. That's the first thing that happens before people can even make a change or people make a change. You know, my mother-in-law changed her diet at 70, which was amazing that she was able to do Mm -hmm. that because a lot of people think it's too late for me. Like, why even bother at this point? there's a lot of things that can change in your life, no matter what age you are and no matter how far you move the needle. Like you said, you changed with one smoothie a day and that moved the needle for you. So it's what is gonna move the needle for you and what type of compounding effect is that gonna have in your life? And also what type of compounding effect is it gonna have if you're continually choosing to do things that you know are not health promoting?
1: Yeah, that's right. And the good thing is these days, it's the easiest it's ever been. To either be partially plant based or fully plant based. Like there's just so many great foods out there, there's so many recipes, there's so much support. And if even if you just start, like you said, with a smoothie, you know, like you start to feel great, that is the best motivator, you know. It's not a hardship. Like you're actually eating probably more variety of foods and experiencing more interesting things than before. So it's not like you're it's deprivation. <laughs> Though yeah. it may seem like it at first like what do I eat? It, I totally understand that cuz I went through the same thing. But
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, coming back to Rich Roll who we talked about at the beginning, um I got to speak at this plant-based conference in Vancouver recently and Rich also was speaking at that conference so I finally got to meet him and was like a super fan and completely got nervous and You know, my lip was like quivering just because I was like so nervous, (laughs) but he told this great story and he was just talking and then somebody asked him, uh, it was something to do with like recovery and you know, how a lot of people go out to the bars on the weekend and they like get drunk and then they like, you know, sleep in the next day and people don't, they don't exercise, they don't eat healthily. And he said that his lifestyle probably looks like torture to a lot of people. And and my husband and I laugh at that regularly because it's like, yeah, we would go to bed early we exercise, we eat plant-based, we talk about, you know, personal growth and our feelings. And like for a lot of people, that's like a nightmare. So he was talking about how that would be like, to some people that does look like torture. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, everybody knows you're supposed to eat your vegetables. Let's put it that way. And there, and now you can eat your vegetables and enjoy it. Like there's yeah. I remember his, his the recipe that I was following was a crazy recipe at the time. It was like the kitchen sink, you know, like a pan full of almonds, beets, you know, blueberries, acai, all this stuff. But man, when I had that smoothie, it was like I was set for half the day and I felt really good. <laughs> uh, now I, I've refined my smoothie recipe over the years and I have a, um, what I call the immunity smoothie. So...
0: Let's have it. it. What is it? Okay.
1: So it's one and a half to two cups of blueberries, which are the highest source food source of antioxidants. Then we have a half a teaspoon of matcha, which is the highest herbal source of antioxidants. Then we have a teaspoon of turmeric, which is anti-inflammatory, anti-disease. We have ginger, same thing. (laughs) I throw in a banana. I throw in uh, coconut water. And, uh, I'm good to go.
0: All right. That's going to be my next smoothie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good, it's, it's also a four to one and a great recovery smoothie too. So that's usually after my work.
0: So we've been talking like the underlying, like thread through this entire conversation has been nutrition as a pathway for positive change. So what other positive changes started emerging once you set your ship in the direction of I'm going to eat plant-based, I'm going to have better energy, I'm going to get back to myself being an athlete. What other things have emerged from that?
1: Yeah, on some level, that dissonance around understanding the negative impacts of animal agriculture to the environment, to the animals, feeling good about the lifestyle choice and knowing that that I'm doing my part, that's pretty meaningful. And there is something that changes. Like when you have more energy and you feel healthier, you have a better chance of giving your best every day. You're more even, even keel, less ups and downs. I think my cognitive function certainly seemed to have improved quite a bit. And, you know, I wake up, I'm certainly, I push myself hard in training, but I wake up every day ready to go and to be able to embrace the day is a real advantage in life. You know, a lot of the sports injuries that I've had have gone away, you know, that's part in part to diet and also in part to learning different prehab techniques and things like that. But, um, you know, it's like, what would you do if you could have the energy of a, of your 20 year old self, but with the, with the insight and knowledge of your adult self, like that's a pretty powerful thing. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I subscribe to, uh, Peter Tia's longevity, uh, strategy where you try to be in an elite level in your fitness, 10 years, your junior. And I, I actually strive to be at a healthy level of, of a 20 year old. So, <laughs> uh, you know, by, you know, what you want to do is basically just combat natural, the natural aging process. And, um, living a healthy lifestyle makes a huge difference towards that. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Inside Tracker is a sponsor of the show and they're, they basically are a technology company where they take your blood work and they have an algorithm that looks at all of these biomarkers, like 35 plus biomarkers. But one of the things that they do is show you your inner age and that's based on some of these biomarkers. So it's always kind of fun to see that, um, how your nutrition and lifestyle impact your inner age based on some of these biomarkers that are, you know, through the research that they've done, contribute to longevity.
1: Yeah, that's right. You don't. you don't really, you shouldn't worry about your chronological age, it's your biological age that matters. And there's so many factors that go into that. Yeah, I I actually was trying to get my biological age tested with a telomere company, which, Mm. uh, you know, is basically, your telomeres are like the, um, the tips of uh, shoelaces, like the little hard plastic covering over your DNA strands. And so, obviously, when your telomeres... I, I know you know this, so, uh, but when your telomeres shrink... People might shrink, not
0: listening, though. Yeah,
1: <laughs> when, your, when your telomeres start to shrink, it's very correlated to uh, the aging process. And so, there are lifestyle factors, like Gregor is a great person to speak to that, that can positively impact your telomeres. But you can basically use that as a proxy to understand your true biological age, which is pretty cool. But I haven't been able to get the test yet. It's not legal in New York for some reason.
0: I was actually going to make some joke about tell me how long your telomeres are, but (laughs) I just did it. There it is.
1: (laughs) Hopefully pretty long. I don't know. I feel great. Uh, My race this weekend, I came in fourth and I was, uh, you know, the, the other people in front of me were 30. 30, 32. So I felt good about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears for the last couple of minutes here because something that's been apparent to me as we've been talking is that number one, you are not afraid of hard work. Like maybe you actually enjoy hard work because all of the things that you've done, it's not only that you're doing them at a high level, but they've required a lot of dedication, a lot of consistency, and a lot of time. And that you all, you also said that you're one of your like, guideposts is mastery. So what do you have to say to people who are afraid of hard work? Because there are a lot of people out there that are intimidated by hard work. And they'll say, well, I don't want to do such and such, because that sounds like a lot of work. And they use that as an excuse not to start.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, though I have a strong work ethic, I'm also have a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So it's easy for me to say, like, well, if I can't do it all the way, maybe I shouldn't do it. You know, like if I can't do my three-hour workout, maybe I shouldn't do any workout. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, totally binary. But the the reality is, like, don't underestimate this is, again, where humans are just not that intelligent, like don't underestimate the positive impacts of small incremental gains or wins, you know, like, fine, like the three-hour workout doesn't appeal to, to most people, but if you just did a five-minute walk every day, like you're actually going to feel better. Maybe it, maybe not the first day, but second day or the third day, you're going to start to feel better. You're going to feel healthier. Um, if you could just do, you know, five minutes of mindfulness, you know, if you could, okay, forget the plant-based meal. If you could just once a week try to have a plant-based meal, like you can totally start somewhere and the snowball starts to roll and you start to feel better. And that momentum can carry you. So it doesn't have to feel like work. Um, and it shouldn't be, uh, in my opinion, this like do or don't do. Like just try something, you know. And um, like I said, the, the human body is so dynamic and, and so intelligent that like you, you know, you could like these days, I don't, I don't have that much time to do a lot of training. So I'll break up my workouts. I'll You know, I did a couple today in different times. So what? One's 20 minutes, one 30 minutes. But it's so much better than just saying like, no, it's not. uh, I can't have the perfect situation and the perfect workout. So I'm not going to work out at all. That's way worse. You know, you just start somewhere with something. (laughs) Break it into tiny little, little, little uh, pieces, you know.
0: Do you have time for one more question?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) I heard you say once that you were like meditating three to four hours a day. So how did you get into motivate or motivation? how did you get into meditation and how did it become something that you were doing that like that much in one day?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, always kind of seeking answers and seeking mastery. And I read this book, um, Autobiography of a Yogi, which is a pretty incredible metaphysical book. On my shelf book. back there. <laughs> there you go. Paramahansa Yogananda. He's the man. So he... Came into the United States in the 20s and uh, one of the first people to introduce yoga to the Western world. I read that book and uh, was so captivated by it. I basically joined the organization. And that was for the first two years, that's the practice. Like you you have to put in a lot of time in order to learn the the master secrets and you're you're not allowed to share those. You have to sign a lifelong oath. And I learned a lot in the process, like an incredible amount. And, uh, you know, I want, I wanted to learn and I, and I wanted to understand how to feel healthier mentally and, um, have, have less stress, you know, uh, be able to reflect and see yourself within yourself and recognize those patterns and have a practice that promotes wellness. And I got those, I got out of that, all those things. And then, but at the same time, I was kind of stressed out by having to put so much time in. <laughs> and one of the monks, you know, he said, you know, that you you should find your own relationship with it. And so I found a way, uh, eventually, to just spend a lot less time. Like for me, it's about ten minutes a day, and and that work that works for me. It doesn't add stress. It's meaningful. It's it's all that I need. And uh, you know, like that's to the point of like you don't you don't have to boil the ocean. You don't have to. Be as hardcore. You can find something, even if it's a, a small, simple practice, and that is so much better than not doing anything.
0: And now you are—you're um, the founder, co-founder of Rewire, and the CEO. For those who didn't catch our last episode, can you give us a little rundown of that?
1: Yeah, so it's a mental fitness app for athletes. You know, when we speak to athletes at any every level, we're like, "What uh, percentage of your performance is mental?" And they'll typically say somewhere between. 50 and 95 percent which you know we agree but then we'll ask them how much time are you, you spending on your mind given how important it is and there's often an awkward silence and so we're really trying to answer that for them we're creating uh, what we have created but we continue to evolve it basically a structured way to train and recover your mind just like you would your body and again it's built into the athlete lifestyle you, know, you could spend two minutes a day and feel phenomenally better and uh, get more mentally resilient and go through different exercises for sleep and for, um, for performance. I used it in my race this weekend. It was really helpful. And uh, yeah, that's what we're about, just helping athletes reach their potential.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And you're a polymath. You've done so many things. Where can people find you? And also, where can people find Rewire?
1: Yeah, so uh rewirefitness.app is the website and you can find us on social via links on that website. But mostly if you just search for Rewire Fitness, you're gonna find it everywhere. And my first and last name is Sun Saks. On really I'm only on Instagram, but you could try to find me other other places. And uh, yeah, always always happy to chat with athletes or or folks that uh, and or folks that are on their plant based journey. Any, awesome. any way we can help
0: yeah thanks so much yeah thank you i hope you enjoyed that episode with sun sacks don't forget to check out the rewire app and if you're interested in plant-based nutrition you can go to thebeat.com i also have a digital cookbook that i launched several years ago called the plant-powered academy and you can get that at moxieandgrit.com it's another fun little idea I was featured in a New York Times bestseller called The Plant-Based Athlete, and that is a great resource if you are curious about being a plant-based athlete or just want to shift in that direction. If you are enjoying the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I know that we're always super busy when we're listening to podcasts, but just taking a second and giving us a five-star rating and maybe even leaving a sentence or two as to why you like the show helps the show find others. And as I said, I am not obsessed looking at metrics with the show, but of course, my meaning and purpose is to help as many people as I can. And if this show is helping you, please help it find others as well. Thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal. Those donations to the show do not go unnoticed as it pays my assistant, Rebecca, and my audio engineer, Roma podcasts are definitely a labor of love and every penny is really very much appreciated especially during these difficult times that's it for today and as always i'm with you on this journey of personal growth adventure and our mission to be better every day we'll see you right back here next week